Oh, little lady, you need to cover the lady stuff. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Pioneering journalist Peggy Hull came to Texas in 1916 to break the glass ceiling and become America's first female war correspondent. This week, we talk about the amazing career of Peggy Hull. But first, in honor of the great Roger Moore's passing, what's your favorite spy movie filmed in Texas? Well, I'm going to say the movie Syriana, which came out a couple of years ago. It had uh, George Clooney, uh, and he plays a spy, and part of the movie or the beginning part of the movie was filmed at the triple seven ranch in hondo which is a popular film set i'm gonna jump out there and uh highlight texas auteur robert rodriguez and his spy kids movies i mean has spy right in the title (laughs) my kids love them and i know your kids love them i don't think my kids have seen them oh my gosh you gotta show it to them and then you're gonna be sick of them yeah (laughs) all right well uh, I'm going to choose the best uh, Texan spy movie of all, which is Cloak and Dagger, starring a young Henry Thomas and a uh, not quite as young Dabney Coleman. That movie was shot in San Antonio and uh, revolves all around the intrigue of uh, secret government plans embedded on an Atari cartridge. It's awesome. actually a pretty good it's movie. Awesome. Uh, the the central messages of that movie still hold up after all this time and it's got some pretty good twists and turns in it. And bonus, if you've ever been to San Antonio, uh, there is ample footage in the film of uh, the touristy parts of the city. So yeah, the river walk. They, yeah, they ride on the river walk. They shot some scenes on the the sidewalk of the river walk. There's uh, the sunken gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cool stuff on there that you're like, hey, that's San Antonio. Right, and what's cool about it is it is set in San Antonio. It's not like yes, San Antonio doubling for something else. It's, yeah, actually, it's actually set in the city of San Antonio. Yeah, which is really cool. It's a good movie. Well, we'll have to definitely go through and have a, have a chat about how awesome it is in a future episode. As a pioneering female journalist, Peggy Hull was simply out of this world. In 1918, she became the U.S. War Department's first accredited female war correspondent and went on to become the first woman to serve on four battlefronts. The five-foot-tall brown girl from Kansas was very aware from the start of her career that she was smashing through the glass ceiling for all female journalists. She said in late August 1916 in the El Paso Herald, quote, with the Russian girls of 16 fighting in the army alongside their brothers and fathers and with women voters braving the ghetto of Chicago, a girl these days has as much right to attempt the daring as has a man. Peggy Hall was born Henrietta Eleanor Goodnow in a farm near Bennington, Kansas on December 30th, 1889, and grew up in a nearby town called Marysville. She had nothing to do with her father, Edwy Goodnow of Salina, from an early age, and was raised by her mother, Minnie Finn, and her husband, William Horiath. The Horiaths were married in Marysville in 1896 when she was six years old. They moved again to Junction City, and then Peggy went to high school where she wanted to be a reporter. In 1905, at the age of 16, she walked into the offices of the Junction City Sentinel in Kansas and asked for a job. The editor said he'd already hired the only reporter he needed, but if she wasn't worried about her fingernails and was willing to set type, she had a job. She took it in the hope that someday an opportunity 
She took it in the hope that someday an opportunity would arise for her to move up. Two weeks after starting as a typesetter, that opportunity arrived. A fire broke out in town, and none of the Sentinel reporters could be found. Henrietta was sent, and just like that, she was a reporter. For the next six years, Peggy worked at newspapers all over the country, in Denver, Kansas, Hawaii, and Cleveland. Unfortunately, she was often relegated to the women's pages, writing about food and fashion, writing advertising copy, and offering up cleaning tips to housewives. She gained valuable experience, even getting frequently hired as the Society or uh, Women's Pages editor, but it wasn't what she wanted, and everywhere she went, she hoped for that chance to write the big news stories. Along the way, she briefly married and then divorced a drunkard journalist named George Hull, from whom she took her professional name. In March 1916, the Ohio National Guard was mobilized and sent to El Paso, Texas to join General John Pershing's expedition in Mexico to capture Francisco Pancho Villa. Mexico was in the throes of a revolution, and Pancho Villa, at one time a popular hero on both sides of the border, had raided the town of Columbus, New Mexico. American sentiment against all sides of the Mexican Revolution was bitter, and intervention was demanded. Peggy was working at the Cleveland Plain Dealer at the time, and she'd requested permission to travel with the guard, but she was turned down. Peggy was done taking no for an answer, though. She paid her own way to relocate to Texas and had a custom uniform made that was modeled after the Ohio National Guard. While she was in El Paso, she picked up side work for the El Paso Herald. The tiny five-foot-tall brunette was allowed to accompany the troops on a grueling two-week training march from El Paso to Las Cruces, New Mexico. She impressed everyone by keeping up with the troops. After a few weeks, though, Hull's editor wired her and told her to come home. Her response was, won't come back, fire me if you like. He <laughs> did, but she stayed. The Herald, impressed with her work and her attitude, hired her on full-time to be an embedded reporter in the field. It was her writing that impressed everyone because she wrote from the perspective of the troops themselves, successfully combining both a news perspective with the human interest element. Hull's writing was so good and popular, she soon got hired by the larger El Paso Morning Times and came to the attention of the commander, General John J. Blackjack Pershing. Peggy and Pershing became friends, and Peggy quickly said goodbye to the National Guard and joined Pershing in his quest for Poncho. She was able to gain a unique perspective on the expedition by writing it out with the commander. Theo was not captured, but the expedition helped prepare American troops for entry into World War I, and her work is often considered the most accurate and comprehensive perspective of the event. Peggy stayed in El Paso after the end of the expedition. She liked the area and the freedom that the Morning Times gave her. The Mexican Revolution was old news, though, and the new news in 1917 was the American entry into the First World War. In April 1917, Peggy asked her editor to send her to Europe. He refused, stating that the battlefield was no place for a woman. Once again, she left anyway. Peggy threw on her uniform and paid her own way to France, though this time with a promise from the El Paso Times that they would use her articles. She came down with an attack of appendicitis, but gained assistance from the Paris office of the Chicago Daily Tribune and reached eastern France. Along the way, Hull also ran into her old friend, General Pershing, now commander-in-chief of the American Expeditionary Force in France. Pershing got her into an artillery training camp where she got an up-close-and-personal view of Army life. She marched with the men, ate what they ate, slept where they slept, and carried the same equipment. 
She was popular with the soldiers, never asking for special treatment. While other reporters waited for action briefings from the officers, Peggy sat with the men in the canteen, giving them food or sewing buttons onto their uniforms while they told her their stories. Once again, her stories about the human element of war became hugely popular stories for the El Paso Morning Times and soon began to be picked up by other papers throughout the country. Of course, this didn't sit well with her male peers. They began to complain, with the reasoning being that reporters needed a correspondence pass issued by the War Department to go to the front lines. And of course, Peggy didn't have one. Why was she allowed to go? Well, it worked. She was sent back to Paris, and by the end of the year was back in the United States, caring for her ill mother in Chicago, though a celebrity in her uniform riding boots and spurs, before returning to El Paso. Before she left France, Hull wrote one last article, chiding the newspapermen who pushed her out, and letting them know that she wasn't beaten. She wrote, I learned to be a good loser long before I came to France. Peggy was true to her word, though, and she wasn't beaten. In August 1918, she set her journalistic sights on the American military expedition that was sent to Siberia to guard the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which was busy delivering supplies to the White Army fighting the Bolsheviks in the Russian Civil War. She got the help of General Peyton C. March, chief staff of the Army, who knew her from both El Paso and France. Peggy was accredited to cover the expedition, becoming the first officially accredited American female war correspondent. During her nine-month stint with the American military expedition in Siberia, she traveled nearly a thousand miles on the Siberian Railroad, reporting on the suffering of the masses of refugees trying to escape the chaos of the Russian Revolution. Think Dr. Zhivago here, if you've ever watched that movie. She was also one of the first American reporters to provide the graphic details of the execution of the Russian Tsar and his family by the Bolsheviks. One particularly interesting and prescient story she reported on was witnessing a standoff between 400 American troops and 1,500 Japanese troops who were also intervening in the Civil War over an altercation between centuries. Hull left Siberia in July 1919 and returned home to the United States. For the rest of her life, Peggy Hull was drawn to conflict. She married twice more, once to an English ship captain and then later to New York Daily News executive Harvey Duell, who died in 1939. She was in Shanghai in 1932 when Japanese forces attacked the city. She and her driver got caught in the bombing raid and ran to a nearby bomb shelter. As they peered out, they saw Japanese troops approaching. The driver ran and was shot. Hull let her hair down and pinned a scrap of paper to her chest, then walked out of the shelter with her hands held high. The Japanese saw she was a woman and didn't shoot. When they saw the paper pinned to her chest, written in Japanese, they took her away to the Japanese admiral who had given her the note over 10 years before in Siberia. If you do not give up your war corresponding, you will surely end your life on the battlefield, he told her. He let her go, and she filed her first story of the conflict the very next day. Hull covered the conflict in China as well as the Great Depression in the United States and the crisis leading to the Second World War in Europe. At the age of 54, she received permission from the military to once again embed herself with troops fighting in the Pacific during World War II, reporting from Hawaii, Guam, and Saipan until August 1945, and was awarded a Navy commendation. A GI wrote her in 1944, quote, You'll never realize what those yarns of yours did to this gang. You made them know they weren't forgotten. 
1953, Hull retired to Carmel Valley, California, where she died of breast cancer, age 77, on June 19, 1967. In almost 58 years of first-rate reporting, sending stories from around the world, Peggy Hull proved that she possessed one of the most brilliant noses for news of any journalist of either sex in the entire 20th century. In her early career, it was newsworthy that Hall wore a wristwatch. The element of time is so essential to our work, she wrote to a fellow reporter in Texas, that the difference of a few minutes might mean a beat or a scoop. Pockets are unneeded these days, you know. In later years, scientists honored Peggy Hall by naming a crater after her on Venus. For her remarkable life and work, it's fitting that she would be best remembered for being out of this world. Another amazing lady. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, another story that we, you know, we, we've seen this story come up so many times is is the people that that go to Texas to to reinvent themselves or to 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 find their best self, right, and to find mm-hmm. their best path of their of their life. And Peggy wanted to be a real journalist, and she wanted to be. She wanted to be just a journalist. That's what she wanted to do. She didn't want to be pigeonholed uh, into, you know, oh, this is ladies stuff. You, you need to, oh, little lady, you need to cover the ladies stuff. She wanted to cover the real stories. And and she was willing to do what it took to get that way, to get that. You know, um, I do like the fact that, like, El Paso became home. Why? Yeah. Because they would have her. Yeah, for, for, for a number of years, that El Paso was her home. And. Um, it's, you know, Texas is a small part, but it's an important part of this person's life. And, and a lot of people don't even know who she is. So, um, you know, the, the descriptions of her writing and what I've read of her writing from, especially from World War II, but of World War One as well, from the, from the troops perspective, you know, the stories of the boys that she was talking to. You know, if you if you know anything about World War II and journalism, there was a famous journalist named Ernie Pyle uh, and. Uh, he was famous for writing in this style as well, but you know, Peggy Hall did it twenty years. You know, did it twenty years before he was a, ever a work correspondent, and did it years before he even started writing. So, um, this is you know, it's a pretty remarkable life and a remarkable story. And then the troubles that she got into were, were pretty, 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 uh, pretty impressive. I mean, there's stories that we didn't didn't even make our our broadcast here. I mean, there's stories that didn't even make it in here. Um, you know, losing her citizenship by marrying the cha- the British ship captain for a couple of years, you know, getting uh, is you know trying to get a scheme with Pershing that she was going to fly to Mexico City and meet with meet with uh, uh, Carranza, who was on the other side of the revolution, and and negotiate a peace with him or get an interview, one of the two. Well, it yeah, sounds one, like... one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. She, she either was... we're going to have peace, or I'm going to get a good story out of it. Yeah, ex- well, that, that was her. That was her attitude. I want to get a good story out of it, no matter what. So, well, it sounds like an amazing lady who, uh, yeah, was really not going to take no for an answer. I do love her idea about like uh, I have learned to be a good loser, and I am not beaten yet. Yeah, I mean, it's a real shame, um, you know, that uh, women have been treated so poorly. Um, in history. So it, it's good that there's uh, great figures like Peggy Hall to break through that glass ceiling and set a good example. Yeah. yeah. Great example. Yeah, well, she marched with the boys from El Paso to Las Cruces, and that's a that's a good good stretch of the legs right there. Some days I have trouble just walking to the mailbox, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, Peggy Hall, we salute you. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. 
follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I am Scotticus. You love this show, so tell your friends. And get out there and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.